This podcast is about anything and everything that gets us better at making things good and good at making things better. It's called extreme stewardship because the first thing to say about getting better at making things good and good at making things better is that both we ourselves and whatever we're working on don't belong to us. We are stewards of what is God's, not owners of what is ours. And in a world that prioritizes getting as the ultimate good and self as the ultimate end, that's pretty extreme. This is episode 6, where the whole Bible is about God being with us while we work and while we rest. God with us. That's basically the whole Bible in three words. If you're in church circles, you've probably heard someone say something about God's presence. God isn't visible, generally speaking, so we have this somewhat awkward way of talking about him being with us, even though he isn't accessible to our physiological senses. And the Bible has a lot to say about God's presence, God's being here or there in specific ways. And as it turns out, there are a lot of different ways that he is present. For example, Christians speak of God being omnipresent, which simply means that God is distinct from everything, but not distant from anything. No matter where you go, God is there. We also speak of God being covenantally present, like when God promises to be with his people Israel. He is present in the omnipresence sense just as much with the ancient Babylonians as he is with the ancient Israelites, but he has only entered into a covenant relationship with the Israelites. With them, and only with them, does he promise to support and protect and live. Scripture also tells some very odd stories of God being tangibly present. There's some physicality to his presence at certain moments, like when a bush is on fire but not being consumed. Like when Mount Sinai has an earthquake, a thunderstorm, and a volcano all at once because God has come down onto it. Like, most uniquely of all, when God himself takes on flesh, becomes human, and lives among us in and as Jesus of Nazareth. Categories of presence sometimes overlap, of course. God was omnipresent, covenantally present, and tangibly present on Mount Sinai. And there's another kind of presence that often overlaps with other kinds. I'm going to call it tabernacular presence. Tabernacular presence takes us back to the tabernacle built by Israel in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. God lived in that tent and then in the temple that followed it until shortly before it was destroyed by the Babylonians. Then there was no tabernacular presence of God on earth until, as John's Gospel puts it, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus was the tabernacular presence of God on earth. Now that was unexpected enough, but then the story takes another unexpected turn, and this is where we start to get to the point of all this in relation to our work. When the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples on the day of Pentecost, as we read about in Acts chapter 2, he did so in the form of fire that rested on each of them, kind of like the fire that rested on the tabernacle in Exodus. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians six sixteen. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Then he alludes to Leviticus 26, verse 12, a promise specifically about God's tabernacular presence with Israel. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
God promised Israel that he would be with them, and that meant living in his tabernacle and then his temple. And God promises that he will be with us, and that means living in his temple, except the temple isn't a building anymore. It's us. We, God's people, are his temple, which means he is with us all the time. It doesn't say we are his temple on Sundays. It doesn't say we are his temple sometimes. The whole point of the tabernacular imagery is that it is always true and therefore affects everything we do. Now, where God is present in his tabernacle or his temple, there is sacred space. Sacred means set apart for certain things and not for other things. So Israel had sacred dishes, like, for example, a bowl used to collect blood from the sacrificial animals. That bowl is sacred, which means it's only supposed to be used for that task. It's not for cereal. It's not for soup. It's for sacrifice. The innermost sanctuary of the temple is not for movie night. So that bowl, that space, are sacred. They've been set apart for specific things and are not to be used for anything else. If I pick up that bowl to use it for some other purpose, the priest stops me and says, that's not what that's for. This is where we get the idea of profanity. To profane something is to treat what is sacred as though it were common. To take what has been set apart for something specific in relation to God as though it could be used for whatever. You can profane something by using it for an amoral purpose, like eating cereal out of a sacred bowl, or you can profane something by using it for an immoral purpose, like committing sexual immorality, when the book of Hebrews says the marriage bed is sacred. Either way, we are profaning the bowl, the building, or the bed, by using it for a purpose other than the purpose God has given it. Now, it's not a bowl. It's not a building. It's not a building. No matter how many times we say this, no matter how obvious it is to so many of us, we all fall back into acting as though the sacred space, the place where God's tabernacular presence resides, is the building with the word church on the sign. And that's wrong. Northview Bible Church, where my family worships, is not where God's tabernacular presence resides. We don't go to God's temple. We are God's temple. Now that means, by the way, just to clarify my earlier examples, that the one about the marriage bed still applies. My body has been set apart for my wife. To anyone else, that's not what that's for. Because my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, it is to remain sacred, remain set apart, and that includes, in my case, the sacredness of my marriage. Now, there are many things to which we need to say about our bodies, that's not what that's for. But there's also something to which we say, that is what that's for. And that something is work. If God designed us to improve creation, that is the sacred activity for which we have been set apart. And if in being set apart for that purpose, God has promised to dwell in us as his holy temple, it must be the case that God is with us in our work. If I'm fixing pipes, God is with me in that work. If I'm mowing lawns, God is with me in that work. 
If you are making spreadsheets, parenting children, teaching students, picking up garbage, filing taxes, driving a truck, building a house, God is with you in your work and is honored by your work because you, as the sacred space in which God lives, are fulfilling the sacred purpose for which he has set you apart. Thanks for listening to the Extreme Stewardship Podcast. My name is Michael Kibbe, and I teach Bible and theology at Great Northern University in Spokane, Washington. My behind-the-scenes partner in this project is my brother, Ben Kibbe. Our editor-in-chief is Annalee Stockton. Art comes from Leah Leenhouts, and of course, music is provided by Dave Murray of Derridoon Guitars. If this series has been helpful or challenging to you, or if you've got a story about extreme stewardship that you'd be willing to share, shoot us an email, extremestewards at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You are, of course, welcome to like and subscribe and tell your friends and all that. What we really care about is that you have gotten better at making things good and good at making things better. <laughs>